Lesson 8 of The Elements of Anatomy and Physiology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in January 2018. The Elements of Anatomy and Physiology by William Rushenberger. Lesson 8 Functions of Relation sense of touch skin hands hair beard nails horns mode of formation sense of smell olfactory apparatus sense of taste sense of hearing auditory apparatus we give the name of senses to those faculties by the aid of which animals take cognizance of the properties of bodies which surround them. Bodies may differ from each other in different ways, in their weight, their hardness, their volume, their temperature, etc., by their odour, their taste, their form and their colour, or by the sounds which they afford. These various qualities cannot be appreciated by the same organ. The organ which perceives taste, for example, is not sensible of the colour or odour of bodies. Therefore, the faculty of experiencing sensations from the influence derived from each other of these different kinds of the properties of external objects is the attribute of a particular organ. These faculties or senses in men and most animals are five in number, namely touch, taste, smell, hearing, and sight. Touch and taste are only exercised upon bodies which are brought into contact with those organs which are the seat of those senses. Smell, hearing, and sight make us acquainted with certain properties of objects at a greater or less distance from us. All animals do not possess the senses in an equal number with man. In some, there is neither organ of sight, nor organ of hearing, nor organ of smell, such is the oyster, for example. In others, one or another of these instruments is wanting. We will now consider each one of the senses and the organs which are the seat of them. On the sense of touch touch is the sense which reveals to us the contact of foreign bodies with our organs and informs us of the nature of their surfaces whether rough or smooth their movements the degree of their consistence their temperature and to a certain extent their form volume and weight tact is a passive touch but this function sometimes becomes active it is more especially called touch when the sensibility is most exquisite and the surface which is its seat can in a manner mould itself to objects tactile sensibility is spread out in all parts of the surface of the body and resides in the skin the skin is the membrane which covers or clothes the body it is principally composed of two parts one called the corium or derma or true skin the other the epidermis or cuticle or scarf skin the epidermis is the most superficial layer of the skin it is a sort of thick varnish which covers the derma and serves to protect it against the contact of hard bodies 
and prevent it from becoming dry by the action of the air. The derma is the thickest and most important part of the skin. It is beneath the epidermis and adheres to the subjacent parts by its internal face. A considerable number of nerves are distributed in it and form upon its surface small elevations called papillae. To these nerves the skin owes its sensibility, which is greatest in those parts where there is the greatest number of papillae, as in the ends of the fingers, for example. The epidermis is applied upon these nervous papillae. It is not itself endowed with sensibility and renders the sense of touch less delicate in proportion to its thickness. Frequent contact with rough and hard substances tends to increase its thickness. Thus, the hands of those persons who perform laborious work have the epidermis thicker and less sensible than those whose occupation does not place them in the same circumstances. Hair, beard, nails, horns, etc., are productions formed by small secreting organs lodged in the substance of the skin. They are developed, like the teeth, by the addition of new portions of their substance upon that already formed, and are not like living organs, the seat of a nutritive movement. We give the name of bulb to the secreting organs of the hair and beard. Finally, there exists in the thickness of the derma little follicles, which secrete the sweat, a liquid which is more or less acid. The contact of an object with any point of the surface of the skin is sufficient to determine a sensation there, but that touch may be exercised, it is necessary that the part where this contact takes place shall be so formed as to apply itself exactly and in a manner mould itself to the object which the animal wishes to feel this kind of perfected tact has its seat in particular organs called organs of touch in man the hand is the special organ of touch and its structure is admirably well adapted to the exercise of this sense the fineness of the skin its great sensibility the species of cushion formed by the subcutaneous fat at the extremities of the fingers, the length and flexibility of these organs, and the capability of opposing the thumb to the other fingers, like a pair of pliers or forceps, are so many conditions essentially favourable to the delicacy of this sense, and enables us to appreciate with great exactitude the qualities of those bodies we may feel. Most animals have very imperfect instruments of touch, and, in general, the greater part of the surface of their bodies is slightly or not at all sensible, on account of the hairs, feathers, scales, and other hard parts with which their skins are covered. Of the sense of taste Taste is a sense which makes us acquainted with the savour or taste of substances. Like touch, taste is exercised by contact only. Its seat is in the mouth. The parts of the mouth where this peculiar kind of sensibility resides are the edges of the tongue and the arch of the palate. All substances are not sapid. Those which are not soluble in water seldom are. In order to act upon the sense of taste, it is necessary that the sapid substances, which the animal introduces into its mouth, 
should be dissolved by the fluids poured into this cavity by the salivary glands or by some other liquid it is in a state of solution that savours are perceived by the nerves of taste which are spread out upon the surface of the tongue and which transmit to the brain the impressions of this sense of the sense of smell the sense of smell reveals to us the existence of odours and enables us to appreciate them odours are produced by extremely fine particles which escape from odorous substances and which are diffused in the air like a vapour that odours may act upon the sense of smell the odoriferous particles must come in contact with the surface of the organ wherein this sense is seated the sense of smell is exercised in a peculiar apparatus called the nasal fossae the nasal fossae figure twenty seven are two large cavities in the face which communicate externally by the openings of the nose or nostrils and open behind into the pharynx by the posterior nares or nostrils the walls of these cavities form in front a more or less prominent ridge which constitutes the nose and a vertical partition separates one from the other finally they are lined by a soft and very delicate membrane called the pituitary membrane the first pair of cerebral nerves which are called the olfactory nerves are distributed to this membrane and transmit to the brain the impressions produced by the contact of odoriferous particles the air which traverses the nasal fossae in order to reach the lungs carries with it the odorous particles of substances and it is by touching the pituitary membrane that these particles produce the sensations of smells the form of the nasal fossae is such that the air is carried towards their superior parts where the greatest number of the delicate filaments of the olfactory nerve is distributed it is vulgarly believed that the humours with which the pituitary membrane is lubricated come from the brain but this is an error they are secreted by this membrane itself and the slight diseases known under the name of cold in the head room of the head are nothing else than inflammation of this membrane of the sense of hearing hearing is the sense which enables us to perceive sounds sounds are produced by very rapid oscillatory movements which are manifested in sonorous bodies and which are called vibrations sonorous vibrations are communicated from the bodies in which they are produced to the surrounding air and are thus propagated little by little or nearer and nearer like the undulation produced on the surface of smooth water by casting a stone into it that sounds may act upon our senses the oscillatory motion must reach the bottom of the apparatus of hearing that it may agitate the extremity of the nerve destined to transmit the sensation which it produces the apparatus of hearing is called the ear it is double and is symmetrically placed on each side of the head each of these apparatuses is lodged in the interior of one of the bones of the cranium called the temporal bone that part of the temporal bone which contains it is extremely hard and for this reason has received the name of petrous bone 
the apparatus of hearing is very complicated in its structure it may be divided into three principal parts which anatomists have called the external ear the middle ear or cavity of the tympanum and the internal ear or labyrinth figure twenty eight the external ear is composed of the pavilion of the ear and the auditory canal meatus auditorius externus the external ear or pavilion of the ear figure twenty eight p is a very elastic cartilaginous plate which surrounds the entrance to the auditory apparatus and presents in many animals the form of a trumpet which serves to direct sounds towards the interior of the ear in man the pavilion of the ear presents many ridges and furrows or anfractuosities arising from the folds of the cartilaginous plate which forms it the auricular canal or external auditory canal meatus auditorius externus figure twenty eight c a is a species of tube which commences at the bottom of a widened part of the pavilion called concha and buries itself in the temporal bone it is gaping at its external extremity but ends internally in a species of membranous partition named membrana tympani drum of the ear which separates it from the middle ear the middle ear is composed of the cavity of the tympanum and some small accessory parts the name of tympanum figure twenty eight c a i is given to a small cavity of irregular form which is hollowed out in the petrous portion of the temporal bone and which is found to lie between the auditory canal and the internal ear it is filled with air which gets there through a canal called the eustachian tube which opens in the superior part of the pharynx the entrance to the tympanum is closed by a very thin partition which is stretched like a parchment over a drum and hence the name tympanum this membrane serves to facilitate the transmission of sounds from without to the very bottom of the auditory apparatus and also to moderate the intensity of sounds for it is so arranged that it can be stretched or relaxed and when stretched it transmits sounds less perfectly we also remark in the interior of the tympanum a transverse chain formed of four small bones named on account of their shape the malleus hammer incus anvil lenticular bone or os orbiculare and stapes stirrup the malleus rests upon the membrane of the tympanum and affords attachment to muscles which by contracting may cause it to press more or less strongly upon the membrane in this way it is stretched or relaxed to adapt itself to the intensity of the sounds by which it is struck in the interior of the cavity of the tympanum there are two small openings which are closed up by membranes stretched over them like that of the tympanum they lead to the internal ear one of them called the fenestra ovalis or foramen ovale is in contact with the base of the stapes the other called the fenestra rotunda or foramen rotundum is situated a little lower down 
the cavity of the tympanum also communicates with a great number of cells which are in the substance of the petrous bone the internal ear is composed of three parts namely the vestibule the semicircular canals and the cochlea figure twenty eight these organs are filled with a watery liquid in which the filaments of the acoustic nerve terminate the vestibule and the acoustic nerves constitute the essential part of the auditory apparatus the other parts which we have just enumerated are destined to perfect this apparatus and for the most part may be destroyed even in man without deafness being the necessary consequence of their loss they are absent in a great many animals for example birds have not the pavilion of the ear reptiles are destitute of the pavilion and the auditory canal in fish all parts of the middle ear or tympanum are wanting and in other animals such as the crawfish the apparatus of hearing consists only of a small vesicle similar to the vestibule end of lesson eight